You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Well, we're going to continue our sermon series in the I Am Statements of Jesus. If you remember last week, we kind of set up the series by looking at Exodus chapter 3 and showing that the way uh, God has revealed himself as the great I Am is a pattern that we see in the Old Testament to give some kind of back, some sort of background for us as we think about these statements in John's Gospel where Jesus says, uh, I Am, and then describes himself in a variety of ways. Our sermon text this morning is from John chapter 6. If you had a if you have a Bible, it'd be very helpful to open it up. I was unable to put all the slides into the uh, video this morning. So if you have a Bible, it'd be helpful to follow along or even just on your phone, you can search for John 6 verses 25 through 40. And then we're going to skip down to verses 52 through 59. Please give God's word your full attention. When they found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things to them in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. 
This is God's word, and it is given because our Heavenly Father loves us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, now we turn our attention to one of your more difficult teachings. Lest we eat your flesh and drink your blood, we will not inherit eternal life. Grant to us great clarity that we might taste of this bread. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Les, uh, I think most of you know, I grew up in the States. I didn't grow up here in Canada. And I actually grew up in the St. Louis area. And I don't know about you, but when I'm back in my childhood hometown, I find myself craving certain foods, foods that were part of my childhood. And for me, it's something about the familiar roads, familiar sceneries, uh, the familiar restaurants give me all kinds of cravings. But there's one craving that sort of is greater than all the rest. It's for a restaurant called Jack in the Box, which is not exclusively in Missouri, uh, but is definitely in Missouri. And they have one menu item, which I crave often when I'm in my hometown, and that is tacos. Think of a regular taco, maybe like Taco Bell. You have the shell, you have the meat, you have the cheese. It then comes with a delicious hot sauce, and it is then dropped in a deep fryer. And if that wasn't magical enough, Jack in the Box sells two of these tacos for only 99 cents. Now, I won't lie to you. This, uh, these two tacos don't deserve any Michelin stars. But at least in my mind, they are amazing. And they remind me a lot of the food I ate when I was younger. Now, what you must understand is my wife, Kimberly, she lacks the sort of culinary sophistication that I bring into the family. And so because of that, she refuses to let our family stop at Jack in the Box whenever we need food. But one day, a couple of years ago, she, or I guess two years ago, she was not in the car with us and I had all the kids with me. And we needed food. And while mother's away, the children will play. And so like a loving father, I introduced my children to this great delicacy of Jack in the Box tacos. And I can't tell you the delight I had when my daughters took bites of these tacos and absolutely loved them. But unfortunately, that delight was very short-lived because later that night I found myself cleaning vomit out of a bed. And I thought, I will never touch those tacos again. And yet over the Christmas holidays, as I was back home with family, I was out running errands. No one was with me. I found myself craving these tacos. And as the proverb states, as a dog returns to its vomit, I found myself going through the drive-through and eating these deep fried tacos. And they were good, but they weren't as good as I had hoped they'd be. I didn't feel great afterwards. And actually, after eating them, I tried to look up the active ingredients all to find out there's no meat in these tacos. They have some sort of whey protein. And this is not sort of the beyond meat trend. This is definitely the how do I get the cheapest amount of calories into someone's stomach trend. Why do I return to these tacos? I know that there's better food out there. I know there's better food for me. Something about my cravings especially when they're so short-sighted and short power, so powerful, they pull me away from what I know what's best for me. Now, why do I share this? To make you hungry for a deep-fried taco at 10.30 in the morning? No. Listen, this passage is all about cravings. It's all about hunger, the hunger that we all have. And it's all about the way that these hungers can be short-sighted and distorted and toxic and unhealthy. It's all about the ways when our stomach growls, we don't make the best decisions. And in the face of the hunger that we all find ourselves with, in this passage, Jesus is going to tell us 
that he came to spread out a table for us. A table at which our hungers will be no more. So here's how I want to look at this passage this morning. I want to look at two things. I want to I want to look at this passage and see Jesus sort of as the great dietitian. And I want to look at the ways he shows us that most of our cravings are short-sighted first. So I want to look at the short-sighted cravings we all have. And then I want to look at the diet we all need. So the short-sighted cravings we all have. And then the diet we all need. So first, let's talk about the short-sighted cravings that we all have, that we're born with. Now, where do we see this in this passage? Well, this passage starts somewhat strange, okay? There's a crowd that has come to Jesus. They've come to him because on the other side of the sea, Jesus has fed 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people. It's a good estimate. And he's done it off all with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when the people have their stomachs filled, as they eat this bread and they are full, they realize who they have on their hands. And they are about to capture him and make him king by force. And so verse 15 tells us he has to quickly flee to get away from this crowd because he does not want them to capture him and make him king at this time. And so as the crowds go away, Jesus is on the other side of the lake and all of a sudden some from the crowds find him again. And it's as they find him, as they come to him, Jesus addresses within them their short-sighted cravings. He looks at, he first, uh, it seems as though, is dealing with the short-sighted craving they have as they come to him just craving a full belly. It's kind of funny. The passage starts in verse 25. Rabbi, you know, when, when did you get here? Like, we just happened to bump into you. And in verse 26, Jesus shows that he knows exactly uh, what happened. They didn't just bump into each other. Uh, They ate and were full on the other side of the lake, and they have come to find him again because they want another meal. Now, let me remind you, the people to whom Jesus would be interacting would know something of an empty stomach and hunger in the way most of us don't. And Jesus knows that they're hungry. He has compassion that they're hungry. But he tells them underneath their hunger is something deeper. There's a deeper craving that they just are not seeing. You might say that he... He says, your hunger is good, but you're searching for deep fried tacos. It's short. It's going to be a short-sighted relief. You need something better. You need something that truly satisfies. So he addresses this short-sighted hunger as they're just looking for yet another meal. But he also addresses their hunger, not just for full bellies, but their hunger for something more complicated. Their hunger, their craving for a religious experience. Now, where do we see this? Well, if you aren't familiar with the story of the Bible, you might miss it. But this is not the first time somebody in the wilderness gives bread to a group of people. After God's people were liberated from slavery in Egypt, they were wandering through uninhabitable desert lands. And God provided bread for his people from heaven. And God's people had always remembered this story. And they are beginning to wonder, is Jesus a new Moses? Has he come to set us free from new captives? Is he going to give us new bread from heaven? Lead us to that mount where we have a divine interaction, where we experience the presence of God Almighty. you got to remember, it's been 400 years since God sort of definitively spoke to his people through any of his prophets. The people are hungry for a word from the Lord, an experience from God, and they come to Jesus saying, Will this be the time? Will we hear God's voice again? Will we have our calling renewed? Now, both of these desires, these cravings, a full belly and a religious experience, 
the best I can tell, there, there's nothing wrong with these. Jesus isn't downplaying these cravings, saying they're fake, saying that they need to uh, pretend like they're not real, that if they're really spiritual, they wouldn't crave these two things. No, Jesus sees these cravings, but he's saying there is a deeper, more fundamental craving that they don't see. He could give them bread, but they'd be hungry again in a couple of hours. And he also knows he could give them a religious experience. But how well did that work for the people of Israel in the first experience? When they went up Mount Sinai to receive God's law, and they sat at the foot of the mountain watching it tremble, not long after, they were crafting golden calves that they desired to worship. What is Jesus doing here? Well, if you've ever been on a diet, you might understand something of what Jesus is trying to get after when he talks to the crowds. Because when you're on a diet, one of the first things, at least my understanding, dietitians often do is they start to address your consumption of water. They want you walking around with these sort of liter bottles of water, charting exactly how much water you've drank. And you know why? Because many, many people are dehydrated. And when we're dehydrated, it's possible that our body sends signals that we misinterpret as cravings for food and sugar and candy. It's possible that when we're dehydrated, our body says, I need water. Get some more of that candy where I felt a drip of water come down. Then I will be satisfied. Our body almost plays tricks on us. And a good dietitian wants to make sure we're well hydrated so that none of our, our cravings, uh, our body isn't craving things which are going to put us off course for our diet. Look, we are in a culture that is obsessed with being self-sufficient. And what Jesus is doing is this. He's saying present in each and every one of us is an absence. To be human is to have cravings that need to be satisfied. The moment lungs, your lungs are filled up with air as a little child, what do you immediately do? You cry out for attention, for milk, for warmth. Jesus isn't saying to be spiritual is to lack cravings. He's warning us that we all have cravings, deep cravings. But he's saying we are going for short-sighted solutions. We're turning to candy, which is going to make us thirsty for more. We're turning to two deep-fried tacos when what we need is good, nutritious food. Now, let me stop and make some application about what it means to be a Christian at this point. Because like a dietitian pointing out to you that you need more water, you got to get down to your fundamental need, hydration. Part of what it means to mature as a Christian is to realize that you, no matter who you are, have things right now that you crave, that your body tells me, tells you, get me this and then I will be satisfied. And part of Christian maturing is knowing when those cravings come and realizing what is under those cravings and stopping and stop indulging in short-sighted solutions to those cravings. Does this make sense? Maybe I could give you an example. Some of what is happening is you, some of us are going through life, we're experiencing cravings, we're finding ourselves in the pantry, eating junk food, hoping that we will be satisfied and we're not. What am I saying? I'll be direct. Some of you are itching so badly for approval. You crave approval. You hunger for approval. I don't know if it's from your boss or a sibling, whether it's from the elites of society or people who ignored you in your past, but you want them to see you. You want them to not only see you, but desire you to be, to say, we like this person. This person is part of the, the good group. This is the, the type of person we want on our team. And you have this deep craving for that approval. And your stomach growls at various points throughout your day when you feel like you're not getting it and you feel like you must get it. So what do you do? 
You work ungodly hours. You neglect duties you ought to have to others. You slander people when they stand in the way of you getting the attention. And you conduct most of your life feeling phony, hoping that if you just give the appearance of success, you will get the approval you crave. Friends, that's going to sugar to find a drop, or going to candy to find a drop of water. That's indulging in deep-fried tacos. Some of you hunger so badly for a life of ease and comfort. You feel like you've worked hard enough. Life has been unfair. And what you want deep down is to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And so because of that, you insulate your life from any stress. When people inconvenience you, you grow bitter and you stay away from them. And what you have done is danced around life, avoiding hard conversations, avoiding hard relationships, avoiding anything that would demand of you sacrifice. And you're willing to neglect your God-given responsibilities to make sure that you can insulate your life with manageable, predictable tasks, all in the name of living a life of comfort and ease. This is what you crave, comfort and ease. And when when people uh, push up against it and give you stress, you run the other way. You insulate your life. Friends, this is like going to junk food. I could go on and on and on. My question is this. Do you know, do you know what it is that you actually crave? And do you know how you often turn to short-sighted solutions for your cravings in life? My fear is that many of us are living the Christian life like so many people who desire to say lose weight but find themselves on the couch feeling hungry, stick their nose in the pantry and say, I'll have a couple of chips. And then they look down and notice that the whole bag is gone. I fear that many of us are going to live the Christian life saying, how did I get here? We're just following craving after craving and we never realize what it is we're actually craving, whether that be approval or attention or pleasure or power or control. Friends, we have to realize when our stomach growls that we are craving something. And we have to acknowledge that we turn to short-sighted solutions, which often leave us feeling more hungry. And Jesus is saying this, that there is a deeper craving that will swallow up all other cravings. And I have come to provide a diet that will satisfy those cravings. So what is this diet we need? Let's look at the second point we went to look at. What is the diet we need? Jesus answers this crowd and says that all their hunger, whether it be for food or religious experiences, all their hunger is is not for just simply food. and It's not even just for religious experiences. He's saying all of their hunger is for a person, is for him. Verse 27, don't labor for food that perishes, but labor for food that endures to eternal life. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now verse 52 and on is extremely complex. It's, it's hard to understand exactly what Jesus meant. We'll give some thought to it. But Jesus, what does he say very clearly? He says, lest you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no way to eternal life. What is the diet we need? Well, to say it as clearly as Jesus, we need the flesh and blood of Jesus as part of our diet. But I have to ask, what's, what does this mean? How does this work? I'm sure this is just as confusing for you as it is for me. To understand what Jesus is saying here, though, there's a couple of things we need to understand. And one of those things is we need to understand the big picture of what's going on in the Bible. In, our, in the Bible, our world actually starts with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in eternity in perfect 
harmonious love, eternally serving one another and watching out for the good of one another and loving one another. And as an overflow of their love, as a desire to expand that love, that more might experience it and participate in it, they created the world we call our home. As an overflow of the love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decide to create and share their love and goodness with their creation. And the creation finds its goodness, finds its life, finds its love by participating in this love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is how salvation is, this is how creation is set up. But how did our first parents treat our God? Did they not try to find life? and love and meaning apart from God's plan. They ate that forbidden fruit and they found themselves disconnected from the life-giving source. They found themselves in a world with decay and corruption and even death. Now, why does any of this matter? Because Jesus is coming back and he's coming to us and he's telling us that he came to bring the very source of life back into this earth. Jesus is saying, in my body, in my flesh, In my blood, the unending life of heaven meets the corrupted human flesh, the sin-filled human blood. The point of this whole series is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And Jesus is saying, I am the life of heaven, fully integrated into humanity. I've come to truly be a human being, to have real flesh and real blood. And now... The divine life, the life that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit had from all of creation is now experienced in my human flesh and human blood. And Jesus is saying that underneath all of your hungers is a hunger for life, eternal life. That's why he says it so many times in this passage, especially if you read the whole chapter. Not just eternal existence as though Jesus is some big life support machine pumping air and keeping your vitals moving. No, life, purpose, life unending. This is what's behind all of your cravings, whether it be for food or religious experiences or for comfort or power or control. You crave union with the source of life. And in Jesus Christ, as you are united with Christ, you can find the source of all goodness, life, and love. Now, I know it's hard to understand what Jesus says so clearly here. Lest you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have this eternal life. And the church has had a complicated history trying to wrestle through and understand exactly what Jesus meant here. But I think we might be overcomplicating it because we all know how food works. Generally, how does food work? Something has to die or surrender from its life, its fullest potential. And as that thing dies, it has to be chewed up and digested by us. It has to come inside of us, brought down into our body so that the nutrients can be converted into energy. And they can circulate through our body and our bodies can explode with power. We can have life that we would not have have we not had that bite of food, had the, the food and the life-giving food come inside of us. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. When you believe in me, when you trust in me, when you say my death was on your behalf, was for you, when you hear me say that to you and you say, I believe that, Jesus. Well, in the same way, the life of an animal 
all the effort that was put into feeding the cattle, all the, all the feed that came there, all the exercise that the, the cattle had and then the food to fatten it up. The same way the life of that animal was surrendered and killed and given to you and you had to chew it up and digest it and had to go down into your system so that you could see these nutrients explode into your body so that you might have life you didn't have before. So also Jesus is saying that you've got to take me in. And as you digest me, as, as I come inside of you, the nutrients of heaven are converted into a new energy, into new life inside of you. You become a person you never saw coming because you're again connected to that eternal love, that eternal life that existed before creation. It is now pouring into you and connected to you through me as you are united with me and you can now truly, truly live. Now, how does this happen? How does any of this make sense? Well, the way in which all of the benefits of Jesus come to us are always through faith. It's by faith that these benefits come inside of us and begin to explode inside of us. And these benefits are no different. As you trust, as you believe, as you hold on to Christ, the benefits of his life and of his death, which was sacrificial, they come inside of you and they become part of you. But it shouldn't surprise us that as you hold and trust this by faith, you're almost immediately confronted by a spread, a table that the Lord has put out for you. And what do we hear at that table? Where in a little piece of bread we hear, this is my body for you. This isn't Jesus' body for himself, for his own fun. This is his body for you. And this is my blood, not, not for myself to be preserved. No, it's for you. The body and blood. 100% human and yet also 100% pulsating now with the life of heaven are brought inside of you as we eat and as we drink and remember what he has done for us. By faith, our mouths are fed and the spirit takes us up into heaven and unites us with this life and, and, and benefits of the work of Christ. In this meal, we are connected with the benefits of the life and death of Jesus. And in the same way, the benefits of cattle being properly raised eventually are converted to life for us and we can live longer than we had been able to live had we not had the benefits of the stake. So also the benefits of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in a mysterious way beyond our understanding are brought inside of us and given to us so that we can be connected and united again with that deep craving we all have to be tied up and to find life in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The micronutrients of heaven explode inside of us and make us participants of life unending. Listen, so many of you know that you have a hunger and a craving, and I fear that some of what has been caught at our church amongst the type of people who congregate our church, is that assuming spiritual maturity is pretending like you're not a hungry person. That you don't have cravings, whether they be unhealthy and unholy cravings, cravings like distorted sexual cravings, or they be legitimate cravings, like craving to be the best parent in the world, but it gets distorted as it becomes an idol. No matter what these cravings are, we've given the impression that to grow in Christ means to lack craving, to live hungerless lives, and you and I know that that has resulted in nothing but a frustrated approach to the Christian life, and we pretend like we're content. Jesus is telling us not that we need to stop hungering, but that we need to hunger more. But we need to see that underneath all those cravings is a meal. Jesus Christ, 
Our elder brother and savior has come and he spread a table for us. A table when we hear our stomach growl to calm all of our cravings. Some of you need to come to this table even today with the frustration and anger and sadness that you bring into your relationship with God. But by faith, you need to trust that as the bread hits your tongue, as the wine goes down your throat, the benefits of Christ are yours. The micronutrients of heaven are beginning to do their work in the same mysterious way food does its work when we eat it. That you will experience more and more life unending. The heavenly life and power will start to erupt inside of you. You need to quit finding and seeking satisfaction elsewhere. Quit tuning down your cravings. You need to crave more. Quit looking to bags of chips and deep fried tacos to satisfy you. They will always leave you feeling more hungry. The full spread is here. The table has been put out for you. Listen, if you're here or listening to this video and you don't know anything of this divine life, but something makes sense to you, it's no surprise. The one who calls you enables you to hear these things. And his call to you would be in the quiet of your heart, wherever you find yourself, to surrender to this Jesus who says he died for you, who gave his body and blood for you. And in surrendering, you'll find yourself united to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through mysterious way as you're united to Christ. And the life of heaven will be poured out into you. This is the hope of the gospel. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.